This is the Foxhole Podcast. I'm here today with a special guest. He's a retired Army Sergeant First Class, Desert Storm veteran, and now research associate for Nova Southeastern University's Gulf War Illness Clinical Trials and Interventions Consortium, the Gwick Tick for you acronym inclined hard chargers. <laughs> Welcome to the Foxhole, Jimmy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Max. I appreciate it. So Jimmy Orocho is... Uh, a phenomenal individual who's developed uh, quite a knack for and and a framework really for uh, interfacing with the VA. And you're coming at this from, I think, a really, really interesting perspective. One, one, your your position as a research associate, but you have just a, a broad depth of knowledge of the Gulf War illness problem, all of the clinical trials that are going on now. And and what, what's happened in the past, and then how to append those or overlay those against the presumptives that we, we currently have or Gulf War veterans have, and how a Gulf War veteran can then use all of that information to apply for care and services. And your process, this three-step process, if you will, I think is super helpful and going to be really helpful to Gulf War veterans. So we're going to get into the weeds of that today, but what I want our listeners to take away now is that in the future, we're going to have several other shorter podcast vignettes of, of sorts where you get at each of these steps for them to take and help build on, you know, the previous steps so they can go about getting care and services they need. Um, so to set the context for what we're going to talk about today, I want to read something that you wrote that really kind of struck a, a positive chord with me, right? And here it is. After 30 years of living with chronic fatigue syndrome, IBS, and fibromyalgia, a Gulf War veteran is not interested in anything but for the Department of Veterans Affairs to make good on their promise. We signed up to bear arms in defense of America. The failure of the VA to respond to this promise is why we encounter so many angry Gulf War veterans. And I'd add to that, that's probably why some Gulf War veterans hurt hurt themselves in the parking lots of VA hospitals and VA facilities. So what did that statement mean to you at the time that you were writing it or thinking about that? Oh, great, great, great launch, Max. That is a great launch. Uh, In putting that together, uh, what I was impressed with was every Gulf War veteran that I had met in my research capacity seemed to be at block number one, square one. They would say, you know, Jimmy, I'm, they, they haven't even had a conversation with a primary care doctor. It's just square one. And then moving forward, it's just such a tall mountain. It is just so many layers to move, move those medical concerns up through primary care into specialty care where something could be done about it. And that's what it really caught on to me. I just thought, my gosh, we we just have to be better communicators, and we have to share this information so that if if a if a veteran that served during the 1990-1991 Gulf War has some medical concerns that they suspect may be attributable to that deployment, to that Gulf War deployment, 
Maybe you know, maybe you don't know, maybe you just have a suspicion, maybe you just have a feeling. You know, we know our body's the best. You know, what can that veteran do? How, what is the next step? What will get that veteran the respect that was promised? And that is that free Gulf War health registry um, exam. It's there, it's provided for you. Go for it, <laughs> get it, just get it done. Especially if you feel it down in your heart's heart that something's going on. Uh, yeah, I, I think, I th- thank you for that. I think that really is, I think you just set the stage and set the tone for the rest of the conversation uh, that we're going to have today. And, and you know, you don't know what your symptoms are now, what that's caused from, but, you know, just put yourself in front of a healthcare professional that can make that diagnosis for you and then educate yourself on what the presumptives are. We're going to talk a little bit more about that today. Um, sure. Before we get too into the weeds, I'd like everyone to know who you are a little bit, right? Like who okay. is it? Maybe in a sentence or two, who is, this is your chance. Who is Jimmy Orocho? I am, I am a person of persons. So as a, as a, as a retiree, I am a, um, I'm a, a, a soldier sergeant is what I am. And I still am that I'm a soldier for life. And with that said, I'd really like to go back to some of your guests, go back to uh, Chris, Johnny, Margarita, Sarah, Tom, and Heather, thank you guys. I know it's tough, very tough, but your stories resonated with me deeply and resonated deeply with me with the author of this of this podcast and thought, hmm, this is a guy that I want to talk to because he's got the right idea. And with that idea, uh, we can go back to what this sergeant, this soldier sergeant is all about. And it's getting this information out. So I'm a person that can help. That's who I am. Yeah. Clearly from the moment I first talked to you, you are, you know, 100%, you've just transitioned (laughs) your service from and and leadership from leading in one Avenue into a, you're just, you're just in a different area doing the same thing. Right. Exactly. Yes. Um, Yes. What, so when did you enter the army? What year was it? I entered the army in 1975, 1975. I, I, I went into the military. Um, incidentally, by the time I made it to the Gulf War, I'd already been in the military for 16 years, Max, 16 wow. years. I had trained in every desert in the world. I had already been out to the Sahara. I trained in the Mojave. Uh, the army made it a point to make me kind of a desert soldier. So I already knew what was going on. I already knew the the landscape, so to speak. Uh, the most powerful tool that I had in the desert was a GPS, because uh, many of you that have been out to that desert, if you have a a, a paper map <laughs> yeah. with one contour line going through the middle, you can't do anything with paper. But with a GPS, you can you can jam. Um, I'm also a uh, ground surveillance system senior sergeant. So my specialty is 96 Romeo. Comes from the intel world. Uh, Fort Huachuca, Arizona, the Army Intelligence Center and School, and we do ground surveillance. We have ground surveillance radars, uh, short-range and long-range radars, and uh, REMBAS, which is Remotely Monitored Battlefield Sensor System, which is a system of infrared, thermal, and acoustic sensing. So you imagine these sensors in the ground. They're like ears in the ground, in the dirt, in the sand. And we, we, we deployed these strategically to help us pin down uh, enemy movement. Yeah. Uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't understand this from talking to you 
previously that by the time Desert Storm happened, you're pretty long in the tooth in terms of your seniority. What what was your rank when you got to Desert Storm? Do you remember what you were then? Yeah, I was a staff sergeant. I was a a senior staff sergeant with um, promotable staff sergeant with a uh, with a squad, a squad of intel guys. So we know that in the support world, we don't kind of kind of line up directly with uh, combat arms and in, in, in personnel. Uh, give you an idea ratio. I was in support of a brigade. My squad supported a brigade. So you think about these ratios, a ratio of 18 MI ground surveillance professionals supporting about 25,000 service members in a brigade. So it gives you a ratio. So we're always that brigade commander moves us to the front of his units that are in contact or to be in contact and engaged. So, you know, very short number of folks to do a very large job. And we, we do fix the enemy and we do, we're in that close, that close battle. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, (laughs) that's, yeah, that's quite a, I think quite a process that many of us have not had the privilege of, of understanding how the, that part of the intelligence community intelligence world in the military yeah. functions. Um, do you remember during your time there, was there an event or any, you know, odd thing that happened that you said, well, you know, that was probably when I was exposed. Yeah. Yeah. And Max, I'll tell you, you're, you know, you're, you're highly insightful and you, you know, you made me think quite a bit about that too, because there's kind of, there's the group think which, you know, you hear, you hear in the media, you hear something, you go, oh, okay, that was probably right. And I attach my story to that. But that's not, that's not real, realistic. That event, that flashbulb memory event for me was the alarms, the chemical alarms going off. You know, and at the time, there was, it was talked away. It was like, you know, they're broken, the batteries are no good, the bat- these things been in warehouses, et cetera. But those chemical alarms were going off. Mm-hmm. And I believe that that was a key moment there for exposure, chemical exposure, a key, key moment. But, and I'm sure that we'll, we'll get into this, but I'm a strong believer in following the science. We don't have to guess. We don't have to guess at something event-wise to have ourselves treated and for us to pursue benefits. There was a couple other, uh, a couple other uh, flashbulb memories the scuds, you know, the three or four scuds that blew up overhead and they were taken out by Patriot batteries. And if you're in, uh, if you're in uh, artillery, you're you're awesome. Especially air artillery. Yeah, no kidding. You're awesome. If you're a tanker, you're awesome. Yeah. I'll just sit here all night long. Yeah. If you're a corpsman, you're awesome. Everyone had a really you, awesome was, job and, yeah, and duty there. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Good, good stuff. So I that that question. I don't know. It seemed like I went off. Yeah. No. You. That. I think you hit it. You hit it right on the <laughs> head. And. I, it, it's interesting because I think this also isn't talked about a lot that there's, I, I would say there's no question. There's no question now that there were low levels exposures of things like sarin there. Right. Yes, and I think that's follow the science that's been proven out in multiple studies in animal, particularly animal right. studies where they've been able to replicate Gulf war illness yes. uh, as it, as it stands. So I, I want to start kind of moving in that direction. Uh, so we can talk okay. about, talk about that. Um, I'm going to read you a quote here, and I want you to kind of make a comment on it. It's it's a yeah, it's a quote. Uh, <laughs> to care for him who shall be born the battle, and for his widow and his orphan. Do you know who said that? 
Abraham Lincoln. Absolutely. Yep. And what is that? That's a motto of a, of some agency. Whose <laughs> motto is that? Yeah, that is the VA's motto. It's uh, you'll find that at your VA uh, healthcare center. Um, in many of the other smaller clinics, you'll find it, you know, it displayed in the VA. And 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 it is Max. It is. I reflect on that poster because it says posters or, you know, maybe a placard in some cases. That makes me proud. I'll look up there and I, I feel pride. I feel pride because that is a deep, deep commitment. And it's a commitment that all of us as veterans, when we do walk in the doors of the Veterans Administration, you know, with things in our head, you know, I've got concerns about that deployment. I have my body is telling me something's wrong, you know, and I could look at that poster or that placard and say, you know what? I like that motto and I'm in a, I'm in a good place. The water's warm here, you know, but with that comes a tall expectations mm -hmm. for the veterans administration. Yeah. I, the way I saw that when I first saw that quote was yeah. it, I'm like, well, that's not the mission of the VA, right? The mission statement's different to yes. me. The motto is the culture, right? That's the culture that you should have yes. that, that goes around that. So everyone believes this is the thing that we're going to do. And then you have the mission that executes on, Right. You know, the, the action, that being the foundational piece, but that to me, that's the culture. And that does, I, I feel the same way. I sort of well up with pride when I see that and go, Hey, there's a lot of yeah. people in these that come and go through these doors right. that have sacrificed a lot. Um, and, and here they are. And, and we as citizens of the United States should, should take care of these, take care of these guys, the, the best, uh, the very best that we can. Um, yeah. Absolutely. So I, I, that's always an interesting quote to me. So getting to, I think, and I think that's a good introduction to the to the VA itself yeah. and and this issue of Gulf War illness slash Gulf Gulf War syndrome. I've heard those terms used interchangeably a lot, and I honestly didn't really think much about it until uh, I was chatting with you one day, uh, <laughs> and you explained that to me, and it made a whole lot of sense. Would you Would you kind of hit on that again for for the listeners? Sure, sure, will, and 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 thank you, thank you, because it's a it's very important, very important. And for those that are listening to, to this presentation, get, a, get an ink pen. Get an ink pen and a pad of paper. This will be good. This will be good. We're going to lay down some very, very important things for you. But uh, Gulf War syndrome is uh, a term that was used early on after we got back from the Gulf War. Uh, probably within the first three or four years, Gulf War syndrome started to get thrown around in the in, not only in the Veterans Administration, but also in the VA hospitals. And it was an indication to a more of a mental health challenge. So you may remember, Gulf War veterans may remember, when they maybe did walk into the VA with these, with these health care concerns. So you, a veteran may be saying right now, what's this guy talking about? I walked into the VA that, you know, immediately with these complaints. Back then, in the early days, the syndrome was more of a mental health modality. Mm -hmm. And you may recall as a Gulf War veteran early on that you were prescribed a multitude of mental health medications, mood medications. You were sent to a psychologist. There was a lot of intervention at the psychological level, and that made a lot of sense uh, at the time. Or maybe it made no sense. It depends. You know, I was crystal clear. There was something screwed up in my body, and I w it wasn't in my mind. But think about it. Medically, you know, anything that's going on with your body is transmitted to your body through your brain. So if we say 
hey, it's all in your head. Okay. Right. Yeah, okay. But Gulf War syndrome was actually, as it grew in the research world, um, it quickly became identified as Gulf War illness, which is something completely different. And immediately after being identified as an illness, the, the Veterans Administration had to develop presumptive conditions. And the presumptives were, you've, you've hit, them, hit on it, uh, real high level, but they are chronic fatigue syndrome, irritable bowel syndrome, and fibromyalgia syndrome, or any other undiagnosed illnesses that the Veterans Administration determines to be presumed of a Gulf War ill veteran. Does that clear it up a little yeah, bit? Yeah, I think that does. And, and ironically enough, I think that's also the that issue of syndrome versus illness. <laughs> and when, you know, when early on it being called a syndrome, I think was the first, when we first started to see this rub between the veterans point. and the VA <laughs> and DOD, when, when, they, when they're, when, you know, they're saying, Hey, it's a psychological thing, PTSD and stress all combined together. And you end up with this and someone's yes. going, Hey man, I'm really tired. Uh, my <laughs> bowels are a mess. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, this isn't stress. I know what stress is. This it's not yes. this. And so I think that kind of started things sideways. And and we lost time, right? The research community lost, lost time. time because no one was picking up the hard research ball and digging right. in and digging into the science, digging into immune system, digging into parasympathetic system, sympathetic system, yes. central nervous system, um, on 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 understanding that. And so and and you you hit on this other issue here of of the presumptives, right? Um, I mm-hmm. think this, when I've, if every Gulf War veteran I've talked to who's applying for care or services or trying or seeking to have that, sure. this, this kind of throws a curveball for them because they get the presumptives kind of confused and conflated sometimes with service connected things like a twisted knee that they had while they were on active duty. Talk right. a, can you talk a little bit more about the, what the presumptives are? You said them, but maybe what, what are some of the symptoms that are associated with, with those? Sure, sure. And if you don't mind, I did take some notes because I want to be very, very accurate with this because um, what happens when a veteran, a Gulf War veteran, starts to unpackage an understanding of Gulf War illness, there's a lot of pent-up <laughs> anger involved and frustration because the that primary care doctor sitting in front of you like max suggested may have no clue they may just not know yeah i mean it's always important that we always say a couple things when we talk to healthcare professionals i am a veteran of the first gulf war desert shield desert storm just i know it's redundant but please lay it out because it helps us helps that primary care doctor get their arms around who's who they're dealing with and remember as scientists those guys on the other side of the table they're scientists so if they don't know it's incumbent upon them to go ask their colleagues and peers go to their boss and say hey you know this veteran just presented himself he said he was he was a gulf war veteran from the first gulf war desert shield desert storm 1990-1991 why is that unique well let me break that down to you buddy yeah. well first of all that is a, that is a, a a war that had chemical agents rampantly out on the battlefield and there may be something about that so yes you should be paying attention to that doctor and it's that's a cmp doctor gets educated on that 
primary care team, primary care team nurses, and even specialty care doctors and nurses also are being educated on that. But let me let me just let me let me just unpackage that just a tiny bit, just a tiny bit. So so the whole chronic fatigue syndrome, chronic fatigue syndrome is a is is strongly characterizes um, unrefreshed rest. So you get a full night's rest, you wake up, you're still tired, you take off on your day, you're getting you're lethargic, you're falling asleep. You're not able to refresh. You're, that's a that's a huge indicator that something's going on with you in the chronic fatigue area. Um, irritable bowel is wide open. It's anything to do any functional gastrointestinal problem. Uh, it could be just gas, bloating, uh, pain, constipation, diarrhea. Either constipation, of those diarrhea, severe. Yep. Yeah. Yes. So again, these are all all things to bring to the attention of primary care team. And then um, fibromyalgia. Fibromyalgia is a, an interesting, an interesting condition by itself. Uh, a couple of things with fibromyalgia are very important. Fibromyalgia. If you go walk into a civilian doctor's office and you complain about fibromyalgia, they may be talking about more, uh, more a pain with um, like arthritic type pain um, in muscles and joints. But the fibromyalgia that a presumed Gulf War veteran may have is more of a neurological fibromyalgia, and it's full body pain, top of your head to your bottom of your toes, unexplainable, been there since you got back from the, from the Gulf War. It's long term. So we're talking six months or longer after you got back. That, that basically means you know chronic. And again, bring that to the attention of that primary care doctor. So you said something really interesting there that I think it's worth kind of shining a light on a little bit. And that's the difference between getting a diagnosis from someone who's maybe a rheumatologist uh, for uh, fibromyalgia versus a, a neurologist. It's because they're looking at this problem a little bit differently. Right. Right. So someone, someone who's maybe getting care out in the, in the community outside the VA um, Mm -hmm. in your opinion only uh, is there is there one place that's better than another to go to uh, to seek out a diagnosis for fibromyalgia? That is a Max. That is awesome. That's a great question. That's a conversation I've had with actually with many pr- principal investigators at very high levels of these research organizations, especially the one at Nova Southeastern University. Um, that civilian. Um, rheumatologist, so rheumatological type um, approach to the problem is going to be very differentiated, very different than what um, a Gulf War illness veteran may be dealing with. Now, you you know, a veteran may say, "Oh, wait a minute, Jimmy, I'm you know, I'm 1991, I was 50, so now you know you're much older today, and you may have a traditional fibromyalgia um, event, uh, but it shouldn't be along the severity of a person that's maybe 80 or 90 years old. That's kind of a, 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 an alarm saying, oh, wait a minute, how could it be that far developed? Maybe it's not rheumatological and maybe it's, it's more of a neurological question. Um, it is important, it is crucial that we as Gulf War veterans, because this is our system, this, we, the system that we're into is a system for, you know, the Veterans Benefits or the Veterans Administration is is VHA, Veterans Health Administration, and then VBA, Veterans Benefits Administration. Should you be expecting a trajectory 
that one takes care of you medically and then on the backside addresses some of the hardships you may be dealing with by applying for medical benefits, um, that just defines why you should go to a VA, uh, to to a VA hospital, to a VA doctor to have those, have your complaints looked at. It's that system that is going to take you through a set of steps. It's very important also that that VA doctor is using a VA filter, so to speak, to look at that fibromyalgia because it may be neurological. And if it is neurological, then we're starting to approach more of the definition to a presumptive. I see. Yeah, no, that's a really good, that's a really good summation. And I, I, thank you. I, I found it interesting when I, when I first started looking at some of this, that fibromyalgia in particular, it's, mm-hmm. it's primarily affects at least what I've read affects women except in this yes. Gulf War community, right? There's a lot of men That's correct. that have fibromyalgia, That's correct. but the etiology seems different where it's more neurologically focused than maybe rheumatological, if you will. And so I think it's, to your point, it's important to, to be seen at a VA facility where you can couch the context of your symptoms yes. inside Gulf War experiences uh, from there. All right, so I think we've, We've hit on those kind of top three big ones. Um, The one that always is confusing, I think, to Gulf War veterans when I when I chat with them is this other right, this um, undiagnosed illness and what that what that means. And and I think the challenge here's the challenges I've heard, and maybe you could help guide the the what's real and what's kind of perceived. But some of the challenges I've heard with with that is a doctor isn't necessarily always in the business of saying, I don't know. So when you, when you show up with some sort of illness that you can't explain and it's really unexplainable, they're trying to put it in some sort of code, right? Or IPC right. codes. And, it, you know, they don't want you to leave without calling it something. And once you call it something, it's, that seems to be the challenging point for a veteran, right? Now it's called something. It's no longer undiagnosed, so I can't seek that presumptive. What's your right. take on that? Another great one, Max. Another great one. And it's let's not allow it to frustrate us as Gulf War veterans. And let us not be set back by having to have these, you know, perfect words and perfect masterful deliveries. Because you know what? You're on the trajectory now where you're going to allow the science to speak for you. Sometimes I get veterans that say, Jimmy, if I could just find that piece of paper. What piece of paper? Oh, you know, my command gave me a piece of paper that said we were this happened to us or we were exposed to this or this is what's going on. Well, that's cool. You know, pieces of paper are cool. You know, we have DD-214s are very important and cool as well. But the science within your body, it's your body and your physiological being that needs to be evaluated because that is going to point in the direction of what's going on. That will define what's going on. And what we've what researchers have discovered over and over with the, the veterans from the first Gulf War and as they come forward and they bring this, these conditions, these complaints, we're all individual. We all have unique genetic makeup. So these, uh, you know, nerve agent, sarin, cyclosarin may have one effect on one person and they're a, he- healthy, a healthy trial, maybe negligible, no effect. Whereas somebody else with more of a, a, a compromised immune system or just a different genetics, 
they're they're in dire straits. They're they're ambulatory. They're they're in the hospital. So don't try to get in the right lines so much, but allows the science to 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 do its wonder. And then you may say, look, Jimmy, I was one of these guys back from the Gulf War syndrome days. I've walked into the VA a half a dozen times. And I gave them chances upon chances, and oh, I'm sick and tired of it. And I'm not giving them any more time. I'm done, but I just really ask of you. I know that it's been a long time. It's next year. It'll be 30 years, folks, 30 yeah. years from 1991. If you were uh, 18 years old, you're 47 now. So, you know, we're an aging, we're an aging cohort, so to speak. But I will tell you, and this is my cry for you to be, for you to give them, give the VA another chance, please. And just be very metho methodological because think about this, our Vietnam era, our Vietnam era brothers and sisters, they waited 50 years for their presumptives. Beyond, beyond dioxin and Agent Orange, you've, surely you've heard those terms. 50 years. Today, and I mean just today, they have 14, presumpt 14 presumptives for Agent Orange. So when you do a compare and contrast, you go, wow. It just, you know, for 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 half a century we've been going off to wars and fighting only to come home to live with the effects of what we've been poisoned with for the rest of our lives hmm. does that help um yeah that's great <laughs> that is uh, that is awesome uh, one of the things i found interesting too in sort of reading and researching was the number of veterans that are presumed to have gulf war illness right so th so they've been able to extrapolate like X amount were deployed and, and X amount have it. There's probably a very small number actually being treated for it. I don't know how many have actually, I think there was a GAO report some years ago that said, this is how many are actually getting care and services for Gulf War. How many okay. of the, like 700,000 or something went to the desert? How many yeah. have it? The, the big numbers, 700,000 deployed, uh, to Desert Shield, Desert Storm, 1990-1991 Gulf War. Uh, the National Academy of Medicine approximate that about 250,000 of us are suffering some form, if not all, of the, the presumptives. Those are the presumptives of chronic fatigue syndrome, uh, fibromyalgia, and irritable bowel syndrome. And that's been echoed through many ranks. Now it's echoed through the research ranks, the Research Advisory Committee on Gulf War Veteran Illness, uh, which reports directly to Wilkie, Secretary Wilkie, the Secretary of the Veterans Administration. They report that. And again, the National Academies of Medicine also report that. And it's a number that is very common in the hallways of, of the research communities. Uh, my challenge is when you look at the reciprocal number of Gulf War veterans that may be um, making themselves participating in Gulf War um, research, those numbers don't jive, which give me a feeling that there's a lot of Gulf War veterans walking around right now that are that that are ill and have no earthly clue that what they're experiencing may be attributable to the to that service in the Gulf War. May be attributable. You're only going to know if you go in, get that Gulf War Health Registry exam, go in and get and bring attention to this. Then you may go again. Well, Jimmy, you know, I'm 50 years old. I'm supposed to have a sore tummy and I should be a little lethargic and tired. Maybe so, but not commensurate with that of a 70, 80, 90 year old person. 
the science again will yeah. template exactly what's going on in your body, but you got to really get in there and say, okay, primary care doctor, I don't really like you, but that's a nice tie, you know, or those are, that's, those are nice fingernails. You know, I'm trying to bridge that gap because you never really liked them. They never really did anything for, for you, but you know what? They're scientists. Don't get over it. Get in there, get in their face, lay down what you feel. They need to act on that. And we'll, we'll get into a little bit more about getting super proactive about that. Yeah. So, okay. Let's take that group of veterans that we just talked about. Yeah. There's, you know, uh, w- nearly one third of the guys that, and gals that were deployed are presumed yes. to have some sort of Gulf War illness on a spectrum, right? Some are, like on you said, spectrum. their genetics maybe have them really bad and others maybe not so right. bad. Um, right. What are those guys? What's, so what's your message to those guys who aren't sure yet? Where or they or just thinking? I mean, you know, maybe there's something to it. Jimmy's talking about this, and you know, I do have these yeah. irritable bowel syndrome types of things. I have you know a lot of pain. Where can they go? What can they do to kind of start the process of understanding what's going on with them? Well, like we 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 we've already bridged is you do have to get walk into the VA, and in in depending on where you live, that could be a, a you know a, a community-based outpatient clinic, a CBOC in your community, or any number of the smaller offices or the or right into a VA healthcare center, walk in. Um, you want to, if you've never walked into the VA, you just take your DD-214 in there, walk in there, get in the system, get in, get in their computers, and then ask for a free, it's free, Gulf War Health Registry exam. It is a thorough exam. It starts with your patient-aligned care team or your primary care team. It's the nurses and the doctors. You get their attention. You tell them, look, I have suspicions that some of what I'm experiencing may be attributable to to that war. I don't know. You don't know. You're a primary care doctor, if you have to say it. Um, uh, I'd like to see specialty care. And uh, that should be the outcome. As As the Veterans Administration starts to properly dig into your complaint, your healthcare complaint, the next logical step is specialty care. Jimmy, what is specialty care? Neurology, gastrointestinal, um, pulmonary doctor. Um, pulmonary is important because pulmonary has to do with breathing. You know, if, if, if you ingested chemical agents on the battlefield, it may have come through your olfactory senses, through your mouth, nose, and ears. So a pulmonary doctor would be in a unique position to start diagnosing what's going on. A pulmonary, pulmonary doctor may say, Hmm, following the science. So you want to, so Jimmy, explain to me what follow science means. Pulmonary doctors, you're going to walk in and you're going to complain. That pulmonary, pulmonary doctor is going to immediately put you in a sleep study. It's going to check for sleep apnea. Again, another tall tale sign. Something's dealing with your lungs. Something's affecting your lungs. Um, those two are the most important set of steps. Primary care, get that, that health care registry exam allow the system to walk you through the specialty care. Also, there, there are environmental clinicians at all the healthcare centers. At the center level, there's a healthcare clinician. Demand, demand to speak to that, to that specialty care. If that's the first specialty care that you see, so be it. That person is uniquely trained and specializes in diagnosing that initial, that initial exposure, and they can send you deeper into specialty care Again, expect neurology, expect yeah. gastro. And those environmental clinicians are 
are typically nurses I found, and they are the first and the only step it seems like to get uh, tested for depleted uranium. If you have, if you're As exposed well. to depleted uranium, they can they could administer that test. Well, take your urine and then send it off. That's pretty pretty specialized um, test, apparently. Um, all right, so guys who are and gals who are feeling symptoms don't really not really sure what it is. The first place to start is go in. When you said get in the computer systems, I'm assuming you meant get enrolled in the VA system yes. in some way, um, start, you know, being seen there and ask for a go for registry exam that will go through. If I remember right, they go through all your, all your systems, right. Your endocrine system, your you know, nervous system. They just do a whole yes. check of all your stuff. And yes, I would imagine, you know, GoFo veteran who's had some of these symptoms is going to tell that clinician, here are my symptoms at their worst. Here's when I've had them, not, not maybe that day, there, maybe not, extremely bad, right. but at their worst tell, you know, I would at imagine they would, they would say, Hey, and, you know, when I really have bad IBS is what happened. I'm really tired. I can't get out of bed for a day or two days or three days or whatever. Right. They can really right. explain that. And so that's a good, I think, thank you for covering that. Cause I think that's a, in this cloud of not knowing what to do, <laughs> those are a good couple steps to get, get you started. Yes, sir. And now I kind of want to pivot a little bit into the Jimmy framework, if you will, um, <laughs> that you laid out for me when we were having a conversation and I thought this is brilliant. Um, yeah. for, for all those other veterans that already started, started to sort of collect and, and get a hold of their understanding of their health situation. Um, what are, well, just give us a review of your, of your three-step framework, your three-step process. Yep. And that those, those, First two are, extreme, again, extremely important that patient-aligned care team packed is the term that the VA uses. So I, you know, I, I t- tend to use the, the right lingo. It makes sense to them and it should make sense to you as well. Or at least if it's new, then, you know, just make note of it. PACT, B-A-C-T, Papa Alpha, Charlie Tango, patient-aligned care team. It's a whole team. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a primary doctor, it's nurses, it's a whole team and they all need to hear it. I am a Gulf War veteran. From the first Gulf War, Desert Shield, Desert Storm, 1990, 1991, I'm feeling this, I believe, may be attributable to my deployment service in that war. Very, very important that you just get that communicated because, again, these are deaf ears. Sometimes they're not really paying attention, etc. Secondary, get that specialty care, get that specialty care um, referral. That, only that primary care doctor can do that. They have to push the button. They have to say, hey, you know what? Let me get a second opinion. Let me do what I'm supposed to do. This is my job as a primary care doctor to move it along. That primary care doctor doesn't know, may not know about pulmonary or, or um, neuro- neurology or, or environmental exposures. That's not their area of specialization. They should move you along. Uh, the, third, the third step, and it is a, just a one, two, three, so you don't have to run off the end of the paper with this. The third one is think about doubling back, pay it forward. And, and once you're established, I really like to see veterans established in the first two initially. Think about research. Think about research. Think about coming back to us. And, and Jimmy, why should I give a darn about research? Well, one, you're going to learn a whole lot more about your body and what's going on. They're really good. The researchers, the research nurses, the people that you will meet in that world are going to start walking you through this is what we know. This is what we're taking you through. This is what we're finding. And they're going to look at you and go, 
does that help? Well, yes, it does. I really want to know what's going on with me. And also I'm about to submit some claims, some compensation and pay claims for what I've just learned about with this golf war stuff. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about Abraham Lincoln's motto and I'm going, you know, these are hardships that I experienced and I need to be taken care of. I may have not been working for a while or years or a long, long time. And I have a wife and kids and responsibilities just the same. So, you know, I'm going to be preparing some, some, some e-benefits claims. So this helps me. Also, would you mind sending all of this research data to my VA medical records? Yes, a release of records. You just check a box, sign, and date, and it goes gets plowed right into your, your VA records. Also, keep in mind that a lot of our research, a lot of our research, we actually do at VA clinical sites, like the risk centers, the War-Related Illness and Injury Study Centers, Palo Alto, California, um, uh, Washington, D.C. and New Jersey are three risk centers. You know, if you're in there and you're being evaluated and you're being evaluated for a Gulf War illness, just check that box and say, I want the results of all of my labs and everything to be put into my VA medical records. Thank you. Thank you. No problem. Just get that done. Because all that is is more evidence. It's more structure to your complaint. Uh, remember, your complaint may have started with, doctor, I have a sore tummy. What'd you have for dinner last night? I had a chalupa, sure as get up. I had Mexican. Quit eating Mexican, is that all? Thank you, Jimmy. Okay, you're, you're dismissed, go home. I failed to identify, I failed to identify that I'm a Gulf War veteran, I failed to identify that I was a veteran of Desert Shield, Desert Storm. I failed, to, I failed to, to, to tell the right story, and I'm sorry. I, I know you, you're saying, hey, you, you're supposed to be taking care of me. They can't read minds, and that's the only way we could do it is to communicate effectively. And once you start communicating effectively, then people will start to listen. And as you move from primary care team to specialty care team, and now you're starting to get tracked, and you're going, okay, finally, I'm getting this looked at. And you're seeing these specialty care doctors, and if, and if, you, and if you can, think about participating because there is a value to participating. There is a value to, to, to volunteering for research, and it's going to give you it's going to give you tenfold back. I would not be able to share a single thing that we have been talking about in the last hour with you if it wasn't for my peskiness to going to a researcher. The researcher that I went to, I was going to, to be perfectly honest, I was going to go in there and chew her out. It's a researcher in Miami. I live in Orlando. And I found out that she was a Gulf War illness researcher. I was going to go down there and chew her out. Really, I was going to give her a piece of my mind. And what I learned was a kind, caring, compassionate doctor that understood exactly what was going on with me. She looked at me and told me exactly what was going on. With no uncertain terms, Dr. Klimas, Dr. Nancy Klimas. You sure you've heard the name? Absolutely. If not, <laughs> if not I'll, I'll help you with that. Yeah, but, if uh, no one, if you don't, if you're a Gulf War veteran and you don't know who Nancy Klimas is, you need to educate yourself. Uh, just Google her name. She's all over the place. She yep. is, uh, there's three or four of these researchers out there. She's probably top of that list of people yep. who've been researching Gulf War illness for 28, 9, 30 okay. years. Um, and they have a, breadth of knowledge and they, they those these are the guys that really got help get the presumptives rolling in the right direction and have done the research to support those presumptives yes. um and and i would agree with you 100 about about the research i heard 
uh, last year I was talking to a Gulf War veteran and he, he told me that he had, he had struggled at the VA a few times getting kind of getting traction, just not knowing how to, I think knowing how to communicate to the VA what he was experiencing. Right. But his, his, his private primary care physician happened to have been a VA doctor at one point, And she recommended uh-huh. to him, Hey, listen, you need to get involved in some research studies. Cause this is tip of the spear. What's going on, right? Those are the people that are doing clinical trials. Those are people just trying to develop biomarkers of what's going on with you. And that information will help, you know, help you drive care and services for yourself. And so what he told me he ended up doing was he participated in like five or six studies over the course of several years. And he said, every time he would go to one of these, uh, studies, he would, he would talk to the researchers ahead of time and say, Hey, listen, I would like to kind of what you said, I would like to get a copy of this. And if you could write something about what you, you know, so he would ask them in the study when they're done, like, do I have any of these symptoms? I have any of these things that are, (laughs) that are outlined in the presumptives. And they'd say, yeah. And, And so they would then not only send their findings along for him to put in his VA file, but they would write a letter. Uh, yes. And that was a sort of their thank you for participating in the study, right? Like, yeah. yeah, you were here. We saw cognitive decline in this area. We saw, you know, an abnormal yeah. functional MRI, whatever yeah. uh, they happen to see. And he used those things. Now you have, and you said a lot of these studies are done on with VA money, DOD money. So these aren't just, you know, it's mm. not like something that happened behind Walmart. Um, so you can take that data <laughs> and and apply it to your claim, right? And and that right. adds gravity. It adds um, veracity to what you're asking for care and services for. So I think that's a that's a tremendous. Um, if people are if you're not involved in that, I think that's you're missing out on understanding what's going on with you and potentially, um, you know how to how to help kind of even treat yourself if there's something you can clean up your diet a little bit or take some yeah. supplements. Cause there's been plenty of studies done with uh, CoQ10 was one that stands yes. out in my mind uh, recently that, uh, that, that, that's seemed to have helped uh, veterans. Yes. Can you talk yeah. a little bit about maybe some of the clinical trials that are going on now? Yeah. Thanks, Max. I appreciate it. And it's always, I, I have to mention, it's always a, uh, it's always a fresh breath of air. Um, I know that you you're a corpsman and you come from a medical background, so you're able to, you know, you're you're able to underline things, you cross T's and dot I's, and you put the right sizzle. Just to use completely different terms to what we're doing, but just put the right sizzle on, on, on what's really super important to Gulf War veterans that are that are in this fold, and that could be even, you know, some of the the folks that that I named earlier on that have that have met you. And, and then those that are getting just involved, even if you've been in the cog, let's say, you know, dealing between primary care and specialty care, but you seem to be stuck there. Maybe you've, you've had some bad experience with a, with a CMP claim, et cetera. Just go back and clean things up. Just, it's just a matter of just making sure that you're properly documented. I, 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 I do have a little mantra for you. Um, I, I'll try to be, I'll try to be cool with this. Um, I call it the, 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 the four D's, so diagnose, document, discover, and disseminate. So um, kind of almost self-explanatory, but diagnose, of course, is happening by, by scientists, by doctors. Documentation may just be My Healthy Vet. A copy of your medical records are available at My Healthy Vet. Uh, discover is um, research. Get into research. Get deeper. Get deeper into it. And that's you also know, part of diagnosis. A part of diagnosis. Yeah. And then disseminate, disseminate, disseminate could be the claim itself, 
and then go back and tell your primary care doctor. That's the best thing in the world is to walk into a scientist's office. That primary care, and I mean, I've retired too, <laughs> just to give away my years. I've retired too. But go in there and share a, share what I've learned in research with my primary doctor. Her, her chin was on the ground, just knocked out because I'd been complaining about falling asleep in my car and just this lethargia, you know, un, unrecoverable um, um, rest. And she finally, she, she recommended me to a pulmonary doctor. I was my first specialty care pulmonary. <laughs> but the research is going on now. There's over 345, last time I looked at clinicaltrials.gov, there's over 345 Gulf War illness research trials and studies going on right now, ongoing right now. And by the way, like Max said, these are these are funded, grant-funded, congressionally directed medical research program. That's the Department of Defense, folks. The DOD themselves, they must have saw Abraham Lincoln's motto because they said, <laughs> we got to take care of these folks. Hey, will you, you, know? will you, I think... I don't want to let this go. I don't mean to interrupt yes, you, but there's something here I think that's really important to explain. And that's when you said DOD fund, and I said it earlier, can you explain the difference between the Pentagon DOD and the oh, researcher DOD, the, the medical? Because I, I think I hear this a lot of times. I don't want to, you know, they're the ones who poison yeah. me. You yeah. know, if you <laughs> kind of subscribe yeah. to, to certain you yeah. know reasons yeah. of why you're sick, um, or they're right. the reason I am sick because I was deployed. But there, these are we're talking about two different DOD structures, if you will. We 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 are we are the the DOD that we all know, warfighter DOD is the Pentagon. You know, these are folks. These are active duty. <laughs> these are active duty folks. They're warfighters. They're in that business. They're in the business of Afghanistan, protracted war, etc. The DOD that I speak of is actually a material command. They're actually out of Fort Detrick, Maryland. And they are the congressionally directed medical research program. We're going to have a lot of hyperlinks. This is this podcast going to have a lot of hyperlinks. <laughs> good, <laughs> but good, good, good ones. Yeah, good this resources. A hundred percent of what we've laid out, myself and Max, are going to make sure that you have the hyperlinks to drill back in here and do your own re- your own discovery and your own research. Um, the this DOD group, this Congressionally Directed Medical Research Program, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to double acronym you, but the, the, the Congressionally Directed Medical Research Program is a program that does a multitude of researches. Gulf War Illness is just one of them. They do many, but specifically they do the one that we're interested in is the Gulf War Illness Research Program, or GWIRP, Gulf Whiskey India Romeo Papa. The Gulf War Illness Registry Program is the program that's specifically executing on this grant money that has been sent out to researchers. My primary investigator, Dr. Kleinus, she was awarded $8.5 million in the most latest grant for Gulf War Illness. And again, she is the incumbent. She is the lead Gulf War researcher in the nation, by the way. She's it. The yeah. best of the best of the best. Yeah. Bam. Yeah. Top of <laughs> yes. the list. Top of the list. And then the other research is VA. The VA does their own research, uh, which there's, there are crossroads and there is a lot of partnering and peering in the, in the back office. For example, uh, Max brought up CoQ10. CoQ10 is a nutraceutical, if you will. I'm going to kind of take that to the edge a little bit. Yeah. It's a super-powered vitamin. Not like the CoQ10 at CVS, although you could buy CoQ10 at CVS. They kind of call it a heart-strong medicine. 
the CoQ10 that we are using in research is one that's called ubiquinol, and it passes the blood-brain barrier. We'll kind of leave that there. Don't want to dive into too much medical stuff, but that was when the VA was after. Now think about this, and let me bring that full circle. The reason GWI, Gulf War India, Gulf Whiskey India, the reason why it's still kind of an elusive thing and why we have to have presumptives is because you cannot be, you cannot be diagnosed with Gulf War illness as a condition or a disease because it doesn't have its own code. It's not coded. The presumptives that live under that title are coded. Yes, they do have codes. So a veteran service officer, if you walked into a veteran service officer um, Monday morning and said and started talking about chronic fatigue, IBS, and um, fibromyalgia, that VSO know, has code for those and can help you. A VSO could put you back in play in some cases, and maybe that's a bridge for you. But there is no ICD code for GWI. What will in the future develop an ICD code is this continued development and research as the research continues to identify what Gulf War illness is. They'll be able to hone in and assign a, a code to it. So now literally a, a claim could be Gulf War illness and then it's everything else presumed, but it's not, we're not quite there today. So we kind of, you know, it's slowly getting there. And this is yet another good reason why you should be involved or at least think about, consider um, participating in research because it drives that. It's, it's a truly paying forward. You participate in research and it pays it forward. I'm up to five or six studies um, myself and not only with my own primary uh, investigator. I've also gone outside of that, gone out to a place called Ross Camp, which is a a, a neurological and dementia, Alzheimer's, um, independent researchers, and I've submitted to their Gulf War illness research. Incidentally, Ross Camp Institute is a CDMRP-granted research outfit as well, just so you know. <laughs> wow, there's a lot. There's a yeah. lot to unpack there. Uh, uh, well, <laughs> and I think something that is important to kind of tag on to the end of that is mm -hmm. it, it's in your, I think you had it as disseminate in one of your D's. <laughs> yeah. um, what, what are some ideas or thoughts that you have on that process when a, when a, a Gulf War veteran has been through these kind of phases already phase one, you know, step one, two, and three, or they're in yeah. three and now they're ready to mm -hmm. disseminate into, mm -hmm. um, you know, submitting it through online channel. I forget that's not my healthy vet. It's, E-benefits. Uh, e e Submitted through e-benefits. Yeah. Yeah. Is it something that they would just compile all their medical files and throw it in the e-benefits and go, hey, you figure it out, VA? Or should they be doing, if they're doing it on their own, or is that something that a VSO will do, or should they hire an attorney? Or, um, mm -hmm. I, And, I, and I, I offer that because in, in my experiences in talking with some veterans, sometimes people have, I've, what I've heard is, when they're successful in this process, they, they usually craft a, a logical mm -hmm. linear story. I was started getting sick this time. I then went and was yep. seen. I was diagnosed for this thing. I was treated for this thing, for that same thing for, you know, two years. And, and I have it this bad. Um, then the, then the folks that don't seem to be as successful are the ones that just submit all their paperwork without sort of crafting a story, if you will, right. Um, of, and anyway, I don't know if you have any suggestions related to that. 
Yeah, def- definitely. And I, I like the way you, you laid that out because it's the way you laid it out, Max, is the exact way that we as veterans would approach, say, a benefits claim. We just kind of, you know, we just take everything we have and we go to the closet, we open the box full of papers. And, and let me say this, if you're seeing a civilian doctor, so I've met many veterans that are, you know, they're using corporate benefits, they're use, they, they, they see a civilian doctor, uh, but this doctor over the years or over the time have pretty much documented what we're talking about. Then you need to get copies. You need a, releases from them. You need a, either access to their electronic medical records or you need that release to you. So you can take it, if you will. You get their pile and you walk over to the VA hospital and you go into records and you upload it right there. You have this, this uh, release of records authorization and you plow in all the civilian doctor's notes, labs, consultations, everything that they've come up with, and you plow that into the VA. Because remember, you're going to be applying for benefits from the VA, or if you're thinking about going that route, you need it centralized. Then you can rest assured that all of your primary doctor, all of your, all of your specialty care have been doing the same thing. So the idea is in my healthy vet, I'll leave that right there. If you need to go back to what My Healthy Vet is and what it can do for you, we'll, we'll get into that. But what you can do in My Healthy Vet is you can push a button and generate 12 months of your medical records, your VA medical records, yeah. to a PDF. Yeah. To a PDF downloaded right to your computer. Now, yeah, this gets a little tough when you start talking about a mobile device or a pad or a computer because you're, you're going to be moving some files around. You get this PDF. And then what you do is you attach the PDF to the ebenefits.va.gov claim, that CMP claim, that compensation and pay claim. Uh, the last time I was in, in ebenefits.gov, there are now drop-down menus for, for environmental hazards from the Gulf War. I mean, it's, they're already there for drop-down. You, you want to bring attention to that. You know, there's boxes in there that you could fill in. Uh, you don't have to write a, a, a big story, just, just, just essentially just say uh, the core of what's happened. You know, I'm a Gulf War veteran, 1990, 1991, Desert Seal, Desert Storm. I've had these problems. I've had stomach problems from the day I walked off the battlefield. Why did you do anything about it, by the way? I got to work, man. I got kids. I'm busy. I don't have time. Plus, the guy up there told me this was all in my head anyway. Yeah, right. So now, now you're going at this far more artfully. You're far more informed, and now you're putting together this this claim that is more it's more focused. It's 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 got it's got teeth, and you get you attach that one year. Just put the whole thing. A whole they're small files, only four hundred k. They come out very nice text files that come out from from uh, my healthy vet, and you attach that to your your electronic claim, and you push the button. Yeah, I, I will tell you that. Um, I can't speak for the nation because there's so much variation, but I can tell you that down here in the Southeast, uh, I've had Gulf War veterans come back to me and say that they're getting traction with their claims in as quick as 45 days. Heard the same thing. Thank heard you. the same exact thing, that it's real, relatively fat. quick now uh, once they get it in there. Uh, and I've heard the same thing about uh, taking civilian records and pretty easy to upload into eBenefits to file that claim. I've heard the same thing about the drop-down menus. It's pretty easy. You just say, Hey, this is my, this is what I'm my primary. And then there's a secondary it'll, it'll fall underneath that same category. Um, yeah. So I've, I've heard those exact, um, exact things. And so I, 
it sounds like that process has gotten better. Um, yeah. I think, I think appeals is still a challenge, but the, the goal I think with what you're talking about in your, your framework is to stay out of the appeals. If you just do it right the first time and you get it nailed right. down and you don't have, you don't have to fight that appeal battle, um, um, with, uh, with the VA, is there, are there other things that you can think of in related to those three steps, if you will, that we didn't cover that, that you want, that are high level things that you think we should, we should mention today? The, the one, two, three is, it's too simple to be true. So I, you know, I, I could, I could challenge myself, but if you're, if a veteran, if a golfer veteran is truly, can truly go back and check those three boxes, primary care teams, specialty care teams, and then surely thereafter uh, research, those three are, I'll tell you how powerful they are. I've, I've, I've had my own claims in appeal. And as I learned this, this mantra, I threw my appeal into ramp only to be disapproved. <laughs> yeah, ramp, Jimmy. Yeah, I've yeah, heard that right. from other yeah. people too. Yeah. It sounds good. Too good to be true. Yeah, it might right. be too good to be true, right? <laughs> yeah, VSOs. Yeah, I think that ramp. happened to Tom, who was on the podcast. He had this very okay. similar problem. Ramp it, Jimmy. Yeah, okay. Well, you know, I mean, this is just Jimmy. So, you know, I pulled those two triggers, boom, boom. No go, no go. But then I regrouped, just got my unified self together. And just clearly just went back through the one, two, three. And that was about the time that I was digging deeper into when I ramped was when I was digging deeper into the, the research just going deeper and deeper, honing in exactly what's going on in my body. And then just being able to, to, to understand it and have the confidence where I could then say, okay, I've now seen three specialty care doctors that have been plowing their results and their consultations into my records. I now feel very confident that, they best understand who I am. And I've just pushed that button one more time and uh, it, it turned around. I'm not a hundred percent service connected for golf war illness, but I will say that I'm a majority of my service connection is for golf war illness. But then if I tell you what the other ones are, asthma, again, respiratory based, you know, mm. I mean, it's come on it, it, for a pulmonary doctor, they're pulling that data together. If you're asthmatic and you've been asthmatic since you got out of the military and there's no real explanation for it i have none i'm a south floridian i've nothing i haven't been around paints or anything like that mm, you know put in the right hands of a of a of a scientist they're going okay well we're going to presume that that's uh, uh that has to do with respiratory we're going to assume that that's contributing to your chronic fatigue so they're there there again and let's let's yes. just hit a hit, hit let's if you don't mind max yeah let's hit let's hit these um these presumptives just real quickly i'll roll through them um and what may have caused them just to get you just to just to rattle the cage just a little bit uh but vaccines how about anthrax possibly we don't know that's where we're going after the science oil well fires pesticides ever 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 hear about deet how much of that deet did you slap slap on your body out there to keep those bugs off you and to no be, bueno. and to, uh, to make a connection here for for people right 
pesticides that we use to spray on bugs and kill them and basically destroy (laughs) their nervous system is the same exact chemical in many chemical weapons. It is the same chemical, right? So same, same chemical. you get low-level exposure to sarin gas or organo, organophosphates, and then Nanophosphate. you get exposure to organophosphates through pesticides that, I mean, yeah. they bombed yeah. bombed the living crap out of our living quarters with these pesticides on a the regular basis, right? On a, on a regular basis. Yeah, yeah so, so you may wonder, hmm. Yeah, so I mean, <laughs> yeah, you could. They make that, you know, I just wanted to make that connection for people that these are one and the same thing, right? That just sure. pesticides for people. Yeah, sure. And you may go, you know, and a scientist may say to you, well, that's negligible. It's just, it's just uh, bug poison. But then let me go on. CARC. Uh, here's the acronym. Charlie Alpha Romeo Charlie. How about chemical agent resistive coating? It's everything we painted our vehicles with. Yeah. By the way, it's a carcinogen. Mm-hmm. Just so you know, it's a carcinogen. Did you, did, were you anybody sitting, laying out on their Humvees getting a suntan with shirtless? Yeah, Okay. Chemical weapons, of course, sarin, any other neurotoxins, depleted uranium. How about parhistamine bromide, PB, little white pill? It's a nerve agent prophylaxis. It's a nerve agent prophylaxis. Now we're talking about our bodies out there, you know, noise, stress, heat, burn pits, lithium iron or lithium ion batteries, car tires, uh, urine, feces, etc. Sandstorms, insects, and contaminated food. The 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 gist is imagine the level of compromise that our body's within fear from the scuds just uh, all this pain your body is severely compromised and then you throw something like cyclosarin negligible amounts little cyclosarin little deed little bit of oil well fired who the hell knows yeah now you make a really good point a compromised immune system compromised body under extreme stress of heat and just yes. in stress of combat. And then you throw in these, the most toxic battlefield. I think anyone's seen Has up until that, at least until that point, maybe even since uh, that point. Yeah. Um, maybe since, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe agent orange, agent orange is, is dioxin. Dioxin is a yeah, herbicide. Yeah. <laughs> Herbicides. What's a herbicide, Jimmy? Well, herbicides kill plants. By the way, in the biological world, a plant is a living, a, a living thing. They just replicate in four cells. They're living. We sprayed, we sprayed dioxin on the jungle canopy in Vietnam to open the canopy so we could see the enemy moving down below. But guess who else is on those trails down there below yeah. chasing that enemy? Mm-hmm. Boom. No bueno. No bueno. <laughs> no, no, no bueno. So, yes, you know, you owe it to yourself as a Gulf War veteran. You owe it to yourself. You owe it to your family. And, and you owe it to the system that promised to take care of you. Think about that Abraham Lincoln. Think about that motto. It's a system that is put in place to, 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 to take care of us. Uh, also, remember, one of the things that I, that I put in, in, in my notes to, to you is, you know, our youth, our, our young men and women today that look to join the military, look to us, look to veterans. They could seek us out. They know. I wear my hat. I got my tag on my car. Sir, excuse me, are you a veteran? Yes, I am. You know, what's your experience? Um, why do you ask? Well, I'm thinking about going in the military, <laughs> you know, which, you know, they're going to suit up and they're going to be in that desert. You go to the military today, you join the army today. Afghanistan, it may be a reality. Those young men and women, and they're, they're courageous. They're there. They're ready to raise that oh, right, yeah. right arm, you know, mm-hmm. bare arms in defense of our nation. They're there. They're they want to see that we're taken care of. They want to see that. 
you know, I don't tell them that I've had a tough time with the VA and it's taken me many, many years to mitigate uh, my Gulf War illness. But just think about where you sit. Think about you owe it to yourself. Think about the big picture. Think about other veterans. I have, I, I will tell you, I have met Gulf War era veterans. I have met Gulf War era veterans in this, at the end of 2019, that never stepped foot in the, into the VA and had no idea what was going on with their body, but they were ill. And they, their mothers and their fathers have reached out to me. And it's a big responsibility, a big burden to get somebody like that shaped up, get them a, a, a VA card, yeah. and get their butt going. Yeah, I, I'll tell you, I was late to that game. So I, I, this <laughs> this world of things that were going on in research and discovery and illness, uh, when I finally opened that door and saw what was behind there, I was mm -hmm. like, wow, I had no wow. idea this was happening. <laughs> and I had no idea this is what was causing some of these you know, symptoms that I had. And, and I think you hit a, a really good point there that, you you know, it's not just about the care, but it's also about the care of future generations of veterans that are coming through, yes. helping, holding the VA accountable, making the system work for you. Um, that paves the way for everyone else. And it really sets the stage too for your, as we get older, for your yes. family to get you to a place where you can get care. <laughs> I mean, you know, we're ambulatory now at, you know, 50 <laughs> and 60, but maybe yeah. you know, by 70 or 80, it may, it may be a little bit different story, right? Yes, sir. God willing, I make it to 80. <laughs> uh, are you kidding me? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so Jimmy, I have, uh, I have, we're going to dive into these other three, these three topics in, in future episodes and to yes. really get at some, some finite steps people can take. But I want to sort yes. of start to close out here um, as we're, as we're running into our hour time period. Mm -hmm. I have two questions. Really, it's three questions that I want to ask you that are really they're probably some of the most critical questions I think I can ask guests when they come on here. So mm -hmm. question number one, did you ever burn shitters? <laughs> I burned the shitter? Yeah. Shit. The shitters, you know, the yes, shitter yes. detail. Yeah. Totally, well, totally, what was that like? Totally. Burning turds is interesting because, um, I really didn't give it much thought on the, on the jet ride over there. I think I had a pocket full of Snickers and a couple cans of Pepsi and just was loving this great, great plane ride, you know, for a bunch of hours. But, um, burning turds is uh, pretty interesting because we had engineers, um, combat engineers with us and what they did, uh, they were craftsmen. They were master craftsmen. They created, uh, they created stalls and they took 50 gallon drums and they cut them in half with their, with their torches and then once we had a half of a drum we just you know we filled them with feces and then once every 24 hours we had a detail that went down there we poured a, a combination of mogas diesel jp4 any contaminated fuel of course we'd put we'd put in there and some brave soul would light a match it wouldn't explode but it would flame up yeah. and then of course we used uh you know, a stick or whatever we could find, you know, it had to be stirred because it won't burn to the bottom. Oh yeah. Now you have to stir it. That's the, <laughs> you know, uh, that's, we want to burn it dry. And then, yeah. you know, you're sitting there. I mean, the, that's, uh, everybody did it. That wasn't above uh, anybody where I was in it. The, the more you move forward, you know, the more you found, you know, 
lieutenants and captains and sergeants out there burning turds because we we can generate them pretty quickly. So we yeah, need no, that's a it, you said it. it's a daily uh, daily event and multiple fifty yeah. gallon half fifty gallon drums. Um, yeah. I I always find it interesting about to hear about the stirring component. Uh, which is absolutely necessary because nothing will happen if you yeah. don't do that. It'll just right. be a pile of turds left. Um, and the fuel, right? Margarita. I just, I don't even remember what it was he poured in there. It was just diesel, right? Um, diesel. <laughs> and she had a whole bunch of, uh, you know, these mill gas and it was, it was clearly yeah. far more technical than I ever remembered. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I always, I think I joked with her that, um, you know, as it got colder there, that detail became a little more, you know, doable for people because it was cold and people could gather it's around cold. that, you know, and get their hands warm. Yep. All right. My last yep. two questions for you are uh, <laughs> also critical questions. Your favorite, yeah. your favorite MRE and your least favorite MRE. Oh man. Um, probably worst, worst was probably that a la King thing. Chicken a la um, King. Being a la King. No go, no go, <laughs> no go, man. Um, not at all. And then probably the best was the, the, the edible was spaghetti, but it had to be warm. So, you know, we warmed yeah. the engine blocks or yeah, yeah. find an M1, you know, find a tank. That was the best. Yeah, if Put it wasn't warm, it's sort tank. of coagulated grease it's, it's, yeah, texture it's, to it, right? Yeah, you, you, can't, you, you can't. So you had the uh, the beef patty and the pork patty, the old MREs, which, which I enjoyed those as well. Yeah, dehydrated dehydrated versions of it and uh, it was it was tough it was tough we did a, a couple of unique things and i'm sure many many veterans did this is that uh, we i never ate an mre from start to finish it was always opened and it was put in all the pockets you know the crackers the peanut butter you know the cheese put them in different pockets and we ate as we we went mm-hmm. so you burn energy you just consume your your mre and and, and you go about that you know throughout your day and you always kept a couple, two or three MREs and, you know, you pilferage into them and got out what you want. And then we had coming from home, we finally started getting all of the packages. So we got a lot of uh, ramen noodles and, and, you know, summer sausage and all that. So I think I more lived on pogey bait than anything for seven months. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Nice to get those kind of yeah. packages. Hey, yeah, sure is. Yeah. We were, at least we got that. That was yeah. good. Yeah, that's good. Makes it makes time go yeah. by. Anything else, Jimmy, that I haven't asked you that you wanted to cover down on? I, I like you, I'm very, I, I want to be very careful not vomiting out way too much information. We do have some valuable information. I did want to leave, I did want to leave with one, one thought, and it's uh, one of these uh, thoughts, these, these things that we've made up our mind about, you know, things like the Gulf War syndrome and they never helped me. So I left and never came back, never looked at the VA again. There's another, there's another thing out there. um, Other than honorable discharges are entitled to a Gulf War health exam. That's why I note to myself. And the the message there is a lot of veterans, not a lot of veterans, veterans in general believe that if they did not get an honorable discharge, they were not awarded an honorable discharge and they have maybe an other than honorable discharge that they're not entitled to anything about what we've talked about in the last hour. And you couldn't be, more wrong than than you could imagine. Um, if it hasn't been 15 years, uh, you can actually go back and maybe correct a a your record, your your 201 file or your personnel file. But the the my key message there, and I think we'll we'll get deeper into that in in subsequent um, podcasts, I yeah. believe, because it is a, a little bit drawn out. 
Uh, but just know that if you have healthcare concerns, again, that you suspect are attributable to your deployment, Desert Shield, Desert Storm, 1990, 1991, go to the VA and demand that Gulf War Health Registry exam. You are still entitled to it, even if you have an other than honorable discharge. Even if you have an other than honorable discharge. And get that going now. And what we can do is in subsequent uh, podcasts, I can help you with looking at what happened. For example, if you were sitting on a FOB, a forward operating base, for with 10 dudes and five of them couldn't pull guard duty and you're, put, you're being put on back-to-back guard duty and somehow you get eliminated from the military, you get Article 15, they kick you off, put you in an airplane, you're back home, and essentially you, you were kicked out of the military because you fell asleep on a FOB because you, because you were dog-ass tired. Well, the military has forms for that. There's a reason why they have forms for that. And they're going back and looking at some of the things that may have happened. Remember, this is almost 30 years ago. There's a lot of stuff that has changed and a lot of stuff that the DOD, now this is administrative DOD, will go back and look at. And that's multi-service. These, I'm not just talking about Army. This is the Marine Corps. This is the Navy. This is the Air Force. They will go back and review what it is you have to say about what happened to you. So order of merit more... Or, or the priority here is let's get your medical stuff taken care mm-hmm. of first. That's more important is getting your unified self together. Get that going and we could double back for this. But if you're a veteran out there and you have an other honorable discharge and you've got medical concerns, you could walk Monday morning, Monday morning, walk into the VA, get established with the VA and ask for that Gulf War health exam. It's free and you're entitled to it. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with, with what you said. And and the thing that struck me as you were just saying that is momentum, right? Like you just need to get a little momentum going because momentum will lead. <laughs> once once you start rolling downhill, then everything else will start falling in place too. So you just have yes. to take that first step and get in there, get, the get in the system, get registered, ask for a go for registry exam. That's your momentum. Hell, that your momentum might just be walking in the facility for the very first time. That that that's a little bit of a challenge to you um, yeah. Yeah. to find it and get there, especially if you live far away. So, all right, Jimmy, I I certainly appreciate having you on. Uh, Thank I, you, I'm sir. looking forward to you know the future of these podcasts and and really helping uh, guys and gals get their get their uh, claims in order and get them going in the right direction. And ultimately helping them, I think where you're going with this is, is helping them live a, a high quality of life uh, with exactly. with Gulf War illness. Yes, sir. Quality of life. That's what we can ask for. Quality of life. I don't, in my heart's heart, I don't believe that there'll be a cure for this. It's a, it's a lifelong condition. But we can fight for quality of life. We can fight for quality of life. We can get that down to even acupuncture and yoga and tai chi and stuff like that and medication nutraceuticals treatment interventions all of that we we're entitled to and it's there we we live in the modern age we get there but i love your momentum analogy get the momentum if you're down on in the pitch because of a of a discharge at least get the medical stuff going that's you're still entitled to that Abraham Lincoln's still working for you there, you know, <laughs> and then we'll unpackage what happened and uh, get to, we'll get into that. Roger that. Thanks a lot, Jimmy. Thank you, Max. I appreciate you, sir.